Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, unwanted pets and relatives, greetings, it is I, your favorite obscure social studies teacher with just enough expertise to make things interesting, Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. I hope everyone's doing well today on this Ash Wednesday. For all of you who are celebrating Ash Wednesday, I say many blessings to you. And to those who aren't celebrating Ash Wednesday, I say, um, happy Wednesday. Just a reminder, if you want to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Please send me your thoughts, ideas, comments, questions, general inquiries, complaints. Send it all there. And also, don't forget to go to Apple Podcast and subscribe to the show and give me a five-star rating. Did I miss anything? Okay, well, if you're turning in today to listen to the Bill of Rights, I apologize. But world events have once again derailed the show, and I feel compelled to discuss a topic that is relevant, that is at the forefront of our minds, and that is the Russian invasion into neighboring Ukraine. Now, since I only have just enough expertise to make things interesting, I'm not going to divulge into the details of geopolitics today. But I do want to talk about NATO. Some of you guys might have heard this word, NATO, NATO. And if you're under a certain age, and if you went to public school, you might have no idea what it is. NATO, NATO, NATO. Well, it's actually an acronym. What's an acronym? Oh, boy. Okay, an acronym is an abbreviation of something using just the first letters of each word. For example, USA is an acronym for United States of America. NATO stands for North Atlantic Treaty Organization. NATO's origins begin... In the early stages of the Cold War. So let's unpack some of that. The Cold War was an ideological struggle between the capitalist democratic West and the communist authoritarian East. The reason it's called a Cold War is because it was a non-violent, to a degree, or it was a non-openly confrontational war. It was a competition between two superpowers, the United States and the Soviet Union. Now, in my opinion, the gold, the gold, the Cold War began right after the fall of Nazi Germany. I mean, Hitler's body wasn't even cold yet before old Joseph Stalin's paranoia and aspirations of conquest raised its ugly head. You see, Germany was divided into occupation zones after the war. And the Soviet Union was giving the east part of Germany and most of the east part of Europe. Now, with the Nazis gone, communists had nothing in common with the capitalists. Oil doesn't mix with water, and capitalism doesn't mix with communism, Uh, you know, real communism. The stuff in China right now, you know, that's not real communism. So, anyway, once Russia had control of East Germany and really all of Eastern Europe, which Ukraine is a part of, I want to make sure I add that, the Soviets had no intention of allowing these countries to pursue their own manifest destiny, if you will. 
the Soviets even wanted to keep Germany and had no intentions of allowing Germany free elections. That's why for 50-some years we had an East Germany and a West Germany. Soviets wanted Berlin, the capital of Germany, which is why even the city was divided in between an East and a West, and we had to have a Berlin airlift, which I actually did a podcast last year on. If you want to go check that out, it's pretty interesting. Okay, so I hope I set a picture here. I hope I set the table, and I show you that as the Iron Curtain is going to fall, you're going to have Western Europe and you're going to have Eastern Europe. Uh, most of Eastern Europe is going to be Soviet-controlled. It's called the Eastern Bloc, and they were communists because the Soviets required them to be communists. They were also called Soviet satellites. They were not autonomous countries. Ukraine is in the area and is one of those former satellite countries. So this is where NATO is born. This is the situation that NATO comes into being. The democratic countries wanted to band together and protect each other from the Soviet threat. According to the U.S. State Department's own website, quote, NATO was the first peacetime military alliance the United States entered into outside of the Western Hemisphere. After the destruction of the Second World War, nations of Europe struggled to rebuild their economies and ensure their security. The former required a massive influx of aid to help the war-torn landscapes reestablish industries, produce food, and later required assurances against a resurgent Germany or incursions from the Soviet Union. The United States viewed an economically strong, rearmed, and integrated Europe as vital to the prevention of the communist expansion across the continent. Unquote. This is referring uh, to the Truman Doctrine, set forth by Harry Truman. Uh, the Truman Doctrine was the principle that the U.S. would give support to countries or peoples threatened by Soviet forces or communist insurrection. Okay, so in other words, NATO is a, mutually def it's a mutual defense alliance, specifically to protect against Soviet aggression, and I think that's important to keep saying that. The original NATO, the original members were Belgium, Canada, Denmark, France, Iceland, Italy, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, United Kingdom, and the United States. Most of those countries are actually in the North Atlantic, maybe outside Portugal and Italy. But you know, what's in a name? I mean, is Ukraine anywhere near the North Atlantic? Eh, who cares? So to be fair and objective, I do want to add from NATO's own website what they claim that their uh, purpose is. It says, quote, it is often said that the North Atlantic Treaty Organization was founded in response to the threat posed by the Soviet Union. This is only partially true. In fact, the alliance's creation was part of a broader effort to serve three purposes – deter Soviet expansion, forbid the revival of nationalist militarism in Europe through a strong North American presence, and encouraging political, uh, European political integration, unquote. At this point, a really smart student might ask the question, 
Well, what do we have the United Nations for? Isn't that for, quote, encouraging European political integration? That's an excellent question. Well, check this out, and I just learned this myself. Some of you guys may know that Russia and China, if you guys know anything about the United Nations, there's a security council, and this is a permanent security council, and there's five members on the council. And most of these five members are the victors of World War II, or on the winning side, anyway. And Russia and China are on the permanent security council, because Russia and China were on the winning team, like I just said. Well, if you follow global politics at all, you'll probably know that it's Russia and China who often thwart or frustrate or abstain from, you name it, any policy that the West tries to enact. And one veto on this council voids the whole policy. So, in fact, you know, Russia and China... You know, being Russia and China being on the Security Council is one of the reasons, not the only, but one of the main reasons why the United Nations is impotent internationally and politically, because Russia and China always veto stuff. Anyway, one of the reasons NATO exists, and this is what I learned today, one of the reasons NATO exists is because it's outside of or beyond the reach of that Russian veto. So... Russia can't do anything about what NATO does because it's not part of NATO and it doesn't have a veto power. Okay, so throughout the Cold War, NATO acted like a bulwark, if you will, against Soviet expansion and aggression. In its charter, part of its alliance, it states that an attack on a NATO country is an attack on all the NATO countries. And if one NATO country is attacked... All those NATO countries must come to that country's aid. There's also a spending on defense requirement, which is something that President Trump tried to address when he was in office, where each country is supposed to spend like 3% or 2% of their GDP on defense. Well, of course, many countries uh, don't uh, meet this requirement. They don't spend the 2% or the 3%, and they rely on the United States for their defense. You know, the United States is kind of like this defense subsidy, if you will. Obviously, President Trump saw this as unfair, and he really tried to encourage NATO countries to meet their 2 or 3% requirements. You guys might want to know, fun facts, the two biggest contributors to NATO are the United States, big shocker, and Germany. Now, from what I could find in doing a little bit of research, is that even though Germany is one of its largest contributors, one of NATO's largest contributors, uh, Germany isn't paying her full requirement. Norway, France, Great Britain, and some Eastern European nations like Poland, no surprise there, they're paying their full ride, but Germany is not. Okay, let's go back to the Cold War, and specifically the end of the Cold War. Because this is where it gets more relevant today to what's going on in Ukraine. So the end of the Cold War is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be in a time frame between 1989 and 1991. Between those years, uh, you know, the Soviet Union is going to collapse. The Berlin Wall is going to come down. Uh, satellite countries from the Eastern Bloc are going to, um, you know, get their freedom. And it all happens within those two or three years. 
which many would call the end of the Cold War. Now, I want to say something quickly, and I hope I can articulate this, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to be provocative, but I want you guys to imagine something. Imagine having a huge defense apparatus for the last 50 to 70 years with the sole purpose of defeating your enemy, you know, intelligence agencies and sabotage and espionage and military defense and nuclear arms race. And you woke up every day with the sole purpose of how do I defeat my enemy? And imagine now that enemy's gone. I think a lot about what we're experiencing in the United States with this over-surveillance and uh, kind of these police state tactics and some of our incursions on our liberty, you know, all of our alphabet agencies like the FBI, the CIA, messing around in the Middle East. All of these things are, we have this huge... Uh, an intelligence apparatus that now does not have a boogeyman. And if you're getting billions and billions of dollars, you have to find a boogeyman. And I also think some of that could be uh, the, the cause of NATO's expansion. Now, a couple questions we have to ask. If the Cold War is over, why is there still a NATO? There, the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. The Cold War is over. Perhaps NATO should also be done. And could, could it be seen as an act of aggression or provocation if NATO expands into the East, which was once under the influence and sphere of the Soviet Union, which is now Russia? I'm going to make this point because I obviously think that Putin, what he's doing is wrong. I think it's a baseless invasion. But I don't think, well, I don't know if that's the right word, if it's baseless but it's certainly, in his mind, not unprovoked. Putin is quoted as saying that the collapse of the Soviet Union and the loss of the Eastern Bloc is the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. He's on quote as saying that. That's what he believes. And if he believes that, and he sees NATO, which he sees as, a, uh, as an adversary, if he sees NATO... Uh, expanding into the east, into his backyard, he's going to find that as provocative. He's going he's, to, it's going to put pressure on him. In his piece in The Guardian, published Monday, Ted Carpenter writes, quote, Russia's military offensive against Ukraine is an act of aggression that will make already worrisome tensions between NATO and Moscow even more dangerous. The West's new Cold War with Russia has turned hot. Vladimir Putin bears primary responsibility for this latest development, but NATO's arrogant, tone-deaf policy towards Russia over the past quarter century deserves a large share as well. Analysts committed to the U.S. foreign policy of realism and restraint have warned for more than a quarter century that continuing to expand the most powerful military alliance in history towards another major power would not end well. The war in Ukraine provides a definitive confirmation that it did not, unquote. Carpenter continues, quote, George Kennan, the intellectual father of American containment policy during the Cold War, perceptively warned in May of 1998 to the New York Times interview about the Stennett's ratification of NATO's first round of expansion that would be set in motion. He said, I think... It's the beginning of a new Cold War. 
I think the Russians will gradually act quite adversely and it will affect their policies. I think it's a tragic mistake. There is no reason for this whatsoever. No one is threatening anybody else. Events during the past few months constituted the last chance to avoid a hot war with Eastern Europe. Putin demanded that NATO provide guarantees on several security issues. Specifically, the Kremlin wanted binding assurances that the alliance would reduce the scope of its growing military presence in Eastern Europe and would never offer membership to Ukraine. He backed up those demands with a massive military buildup on Ukraine's borders. In a piece called How NATO Expanded East by Katharina Blaschlotz, written back in January, when Russia's military buildup began, she writes, quote, Russian President Vladimir Putin has repeatedly brought up the topic of NATO, the European North American Military Alliance, in connection with Ukraine. The country is currently one of three nations that has declared aspirations to join the treaty, something that Russia vehemently opposes. Russia continues to see Ukraine as an important part of its sphere of influence. Similar to Belarus, Ukraine holds geopolitical significance for Russia as a buffer state to the West, but it also regards the country as a major cultural and historical ally. She goes on to write, Ukraine's declaration concerning NATO dates back as far as 2008 and is not expected to be acted upon anytime soon, but the greater context of the treaty's expansion eastward has been a thorn in Putin's side for a long time. In December, he blasted the organization at his annual end-of-year press conference. He said any further NATO movement east is unacceptable. He has repeatedly called for a ban of NATO expansion ever since, but to no avail, unquote. So there you have it, folks. Some more context as you're looking through the Facebook memes and the Twitter one-liners and the propaganda coming out of Ukraine, propaganda coming out of the United States, propaganda coming out of Russia, and you're trying to make sense of it all, I just wanted to give you a little historical context. Knowing history certainly helps. Perhaps the Cold War was never really finished. Perhaps NATO's expansion has caused this needless conflict. In any case, Putin's actions aren't happening in a vacuum. Now, I do think he overplayed his hand. You know, Sun Tzu wrote in The Art of War that there's no time in history where a country benefited from a protracted war. And analysts are saying that Ukrainians, yes, Ukrainians, not Iranians, Joe, are putting up a stiff resistance. Now that Putin has decided to fully engage in warfare, it's pretty difficult to see what his endgame is. It appears that most of the international community, other than the gangsters in China, are against him. In any case, our hearts go out to the people of Ukraine. So where do we go from here? Uh, I've gotten a couple, actually some people have reached out to me. What are my thoughts? What do I think? Well, you guys know if you follow this podcast, I'm not for war. And I don't think we should get directly involved. I think we should help put pressure on Russia I think we should help the Ukrainians indirectly any way we can. I do not think this is World War III. Uh, However, this could quickly become World War III because, remember, the NATO charter. Attack on one NATO country 
Poland is a NATO country now. An attack on one NATO country is an attack on all the countries. And if a NATO country is attacked, all the other countries must come to its aid. So this could get very nasty very quickly. Having said that, I don't think Ukraine sovereignty affects the United States sovereignty. I think our leaders are disingenuous wanting to send our young people overseas to defend a Ukrainian border while they don't even defend our border. As I said earlier, I think Putin, whatever international organiz- uh, you know, negotiating capital he had, once you pull that trigger into war, all the plans go out the window. It's kind of like that Mike Tyson quote, you have a plan, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Uh, so I don't think, I think Putin, whatever he was going to achieve, I think it goes down the toilet from here. Uh, so I think we need to cut him off internationally, help Ukraine financially and humanitarian aid. And I think Russia just dies on the vine. At least that's what I hope for. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating. If you give me a written review and you email me and tell me about it, you give me your address, I'll give you a free Professor Liberty sticker. No charge to you. If you want to email the show, the email is ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. Until next time, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.